Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. All right, here we go. It's a brand new Flyers Daily for Wednesday, the 10th of May, 2023. The hockey gods are not interested in math. The Flyers did not move up in the NHL draft lottery. They did not move down. They actually landed in the place where they had the highest odds of landing, and it's actually the place where they finished in the pecking order of the NHL standings. They'll have the seventh pick on June 28th in the 2023 NHL entry draft, and they will try and find a player in a very deep draft that can be an impactful player, uh, not only initially, maybe not next year, but for many years to come. They'll look to fill a need, best player available in this situation, and we'll see who is there and available. There's always some variables and some things that happen at the draft that you're not expecting, and maybe a player sitting there that you weren't expecting to be there, whether that's Mitchkoff or whether that's maybe Leo Carlson. We don't know. We'll see how it plays out in front of them or if they even move in the draft, I guess, is a possibility as well. But obvious disappointment from Flyer fans the night of the NHL draft lottery. You know, I got caught up in it too. I was running the draft simulator and had dreams of Connor Bedard and that sensational generational talent here in Philadelphia. And obviously, if you do win that lottery and you're the Flyers, that does accelerate your rebuild. It accelerates the stature of your team, not only on the ice, but in the market, in the NHL, and just in sports landscape. That's the effect a player like Connor Bedard can have. But he's going to be a Chicago Blackhawk. They end up winning the NHL draft lottery. They had the second best odds to land the top pick. Anaheim had the highest. They get the number two overall pick, and they'll presumably take Adam Fantilli. Uh, but the Chicago Blackhawks, who won the lottery back, they didn't actually even win the lottery back in 2007. In 2007, the Flyers had the best odds to land the top overall pick. Turned out to be Patrick Kane. Uh, but because of what took place, uh, they had the coin flip, and the Blackhawks got the number one overall pick. They get Patrick Kane. He wins three cups in Chicago. He's going to the Hall of Fame. Flyers get the number two overall pick in James Van Riemsdyk, whose second stint with the Flyers just ended this past season with his contract expiring. But before we get to our exit interview series once again today, it's Travis Konechny who led the Flyers in scoring. I did a bunch of research on the NHL draft lottery, on teams that have drafted at the top of the NHL draft, and the effect it has had on their franchise. Because I saw the disappointment, and, well, the Flyers screwed it up. They couldn't tank properly. Chicago tanked properly, and they got rewarded. And it's funny because Brian Smith actually put out a tweet after the draft lottery results. And had Jonathan Taves scored on that breakaway in overtime in Chicago in Game 82 of the season, they probably wouldn't have gotten Connor Bedard. It would have been Anaheim. But that's how the things fall. Uh, with that said, let's look at a bunch of the teams. Now, the NHL draft lottery has been in place in 1995. The initial way it was created and executed uh, was the same way from 95 to 2012. And only one team won the draft lottery and the winning team can only move up a maximum of four spots. This means the first overall pick will be guaranteed to go to a bottom five team based on the regular season standings. You had 05, you had the lockout. 2013 through 15, there was a slight change. 16 through 19, the top three selections were determined by the lottery. Flyers moved up with a 2.7% chance uh, from 13 to 2 and drafted Nolan Patrick in that draft. Turned out to not be a good thing. And then in 2020, they had more lottery reform. And then last year and this year, it's the current format. 
Only two teams can win the lottery, but there are two major restrictions. Teams are only allowed to move up a maximum of 10 spots, and teams can only win the lottery twice within a five-year period. Why is that? Well, you'll find out in just a moment. We've seen a lot of you know, big shifts at the top of the lottery since it came in. When you look all the way back and you know, Alex Ovechkin in 2004, Washington had the third worst record in the league. They won the lottery. They took Alex Ovechkin. 2005, Pittsburgh won the lottery over Anaheim. They took Sidney Crosby. Anaheim took Bobby Ryan. And Sidney Crosby went on to win three cups in 09, 16, and 17. Couple that with the fact that Crosby was joining a team that two years earlier in 2003 drafted Marc-Andre Fleury first overall after making a trade to get that pick. Evgeny Malkin second overall in 04. Crosby number one overall in 05. And then number six in uh, 2006, Jordan Stahl was second overall. Since 2006, the Penguins have the second highest points percentage in the NHL at .633, only second to the Boston Bruins. Now, when you look at the Bruins, they're a team that was not built at the top of the NHL draft or with lottery luck. When you look at their standout draft picks in the first round since 2006, in 06, they took Kessel with the fifth overall pick. In 07, they took Zach Hamill uh, with the eighth overall pick. In 2008, they had the 16th overall pick. In 2009, they had the 25th overall pick. And then in 10, number two overall, they took Tyler Sagan. In 11, ninth overall, they took Dougie Hamilton. Neither of those players there right now. Uh, in 2014, 25th overall, David Pasternak. What a hit. 2016, 14th overall, Charlie McAvoy. Yet that team that has not drafted, didn't bottom completely out, has the highest points percentage in the NHL at .635, 2006 to the present. Won the President's Trophy this year, got knocked out in the first round, won a cup in 2011. Caps won the cup in 2018. Third worst record moved up from 3 to 1 in 2004 to draft Ovechkin. In 2006, they got Backstrom fourth overall, Carl Alsner fifth overall in 2007. And then in 2012, they also drafted 11th overall, Philip Forsberg, who's no longer there. Tampa Bay Lightning, eighth in points percentage since 06, have cups in 2004, 2020, and 2021. This is a team that was built partially at the top of the draft, but also their depth was built with great draft picks outside of the first round or not at the top of the first round. In 08, they draft Stamkos number one overall. They had the worst record. They got him. Uh, 09, second pick overall, they draft their stud defenseman, Victor Hedman. 2010, sixth overall, they draft Brett Comley. 2013, third overall, Jonathan Drouin. Didn't work. 2012, 10th overall, Slater Cuckoo. And at 19th overall in 2012, Andre Vasilevsky. That's a big moment. 2014, in the third round, Braden Point. In 2011, 58th overall in the second round, Nikita Kucherov. Again, you have some high-end guys that were drafted at the top of the draft via the lottery, one and two, when you look at Stamkos and Hedman. But Point, Kucherov, Vasilevsky, keys to that team's success and sustainability, not drafted at the top of the uh, NHL draft. Let's look at another team in the. Uh, let's look at another team in the NHL draft lottery era, the Carolina Hurricanes. They have a 557 points percentage since 06. They won the Cup in 06 over Edmonton. In 03, drafted Eric Stahl, second overall. Fourth overall in 04 with Ladd. Uh, third overall in 05 with Jack Johnson. 2010 more recently. In third overall, they took Jeff Skinner. In 2013, at fifth overall, they took Elias Lindholm, who's playing in Calgary. 
Hayden Fleury, 7th overall in 14. Hannafin, 5th overall in 15. And Sebastian Ajo, 35th overall in the second round uh, in 2015. Martin Natchez, 12th overall. Shvechnikov, 2nd overall in 18. That's a really good team. Again, that didn't completely bottom out. And they're one of those teams that could win the Cup this year. They've been one of those legit total team Cup contenders for multiple seasons now. We'll see if they can get over the hump. But they're a team that is absolutely on that level in the NHL. The Edmonton Oilers. Talk about the team that defines the NHL draft lottery. Since 06, they have a points percentage of 497, 29th in the NHL. Here's the key picks over the years for the Edmonton Oilers. 07, 6th overall, Sam Gagne. 22nd overall, Everly in 08. Magnus Pajarvi in 10th overall in 09. And here's where the run starts for the Edmonton Oilers. 2010, they win the lottery. They take Taylor Hall. 2011, they win the lottery again. Number one overall pick, Ryan Nugent Hopkins. 2012, they win the lottery for a third straight year and draft Neil Yakupov. Didn't work out. Darnell Nurse was a seventh overall pick in 2013. Uh, 14th, uh, 2014, third overall pick, Leon Dreisaitl. What a home run. Uh, 2015, they get the first overall pick again. Again, they're fourth in, five, in six years of number one overall picks. They take McDavid, the best player on the planet. Uh, Paul, uh, Magnus, or excuse me, Jesse Pugliarvi, number four overall in 2016. Evan Bouchard, 10th overall in 18. And Broberg, eighth overall in 2019. Here's the thing. After their cup loss in 2006... They went 10 straight years with no playoffs, including multiple seasons where they had multiple first overall picks, including Connor McDavid. With Connor McDavid, with Taylor Hall, with Ryan Nugent Hopkins, Yakupov, all those picks, the Edmonton Oilers missed the playoffs from 2010 to 2016. They had a second round loss in 2017, then missed the playoffs in 18 and 19, lost the play-in in 2020 in the bubble, first round lost the next year, last year went to the conference finals, and they're still alive this year. Look at all those number one picks. Bottoming out. Top of the draft. Generational player in Connor McDavid. And Leon Dreisaitl. And still, very little playoff success of real substance. So, again, I go back. I wanted Bedard here. And it obviously would have helped. But it is no guarantee. It is no guarantee. You can look at the Maple Leafs who have won one playoff series now since 04. They're in the second round. They're probably about to be swept by Florida. They've had some top picks. In 09, they took Kadri 7th overall. They took Morgan Riley 5th overall. William Nylander 8th overall. Marner 4th overall. Matthews in 2016, number 1 overall. They have a number 1 overall pick in John Tavares from 2009. And they've won one playoff series. So that's just a little perspective on what was lost the other night. It wasn't lost because you never had it. Never had the top pick and lost it. It's what the Flyers didn't gain. Now, obviously, it would help to have a player like Bedard or Fantilli. You're going to get a good player at number seven, especially in this draft. You draft best player available. It's likely to be a forward. We'll see if Michkov drops, if the Flyers feel like they can get him over here in a timely order. There's some risk there, obviously. Bill and I talked about that on Monday's episode. Or whether that's Ryan Leonard, whether Leo Carlson or Dvorsky or any of these guys drop or are available we'll see but they're going to get a good player at number seven overall do they need high-end talent yes can they get high-end talent at seven yes i just gave a ton of players pasternak 25th overall some really good players that aren't drafted at the top kucherov 58th overall 
Braden Point in the third round. You can get good hockey players. You got to identify them, you got to draft them, you got to develop them, and then they got to perform in the best league in the world. One of the guys that was a Flyers draft pick back in the 2015 NHL entry draft, Flyers had two first round picks that year. Coincidentally, one of them was seventh overall. That was Ivan Provorov from the Brandon Wheat Kings. And at 24th overall, the Flyers selected Travis Konechny. Now played 488 games in the NHL, 141 goals, 191 assists, 332 points. He's coming off his best year in the NHL. Missed a lot of games with injury, kind of weird injuries. Hit the 30-goal plateau, and he is our guest from Flyers Exit Day as our interview series continues. Here's my conversation with Travis Connect. It is the end-of-season breakup day as the Flyers 22-23 season has come to an end. And joining us right now is the team's leading scorer, Travis Connecting. TK, how are you? Doing good. Doing good. Feels good to end the end the season with a three point night over a point per game. Yeah, I mean it was it was a good way uh, to end. I think for everyone, um, especially Bronner's last game there, and uh, it was just you know obviously an up and down season. So to end on a win was good for everybody. Um, you get to thir- the thirty goal plateau. You surpass it with thirty one with the two goals in the game. That's one of those things, one of those plateaus you want to check off. You were on your way in 1920. You are actually on a 31-32-goal pace when the season got cut short. Um, but to get to over the 30 goals means something to you? Yeah, it, it's been, I think, since I hit the 24-goal marker um, in my second season, it's kind of been on my radar that I wanted to, you know, take the next step, and I just hadn't been able to get there. And, uh, you know, to be able to get there this year and um, – you know, obviously, kudos to everyone who helped me along the way this year in, in, in doing that. Um, it was definitely, you know, something that I was happy with doing. And, and now, uh, you know, reset the bar and, and just keep seeing, you know, where I could get to, whether I get to, to the new marker or not. But, uh, you know, I was glad I could hit 30. Yeah, you hit three years in a row at 24. Yeah. Um, you know, what was it? You know, when the bubble happened and maybe you lost some confidence in your scoring, I know you sat down with Danny and talked about getting into the middle of the ice more and go where the goals were scored. Was it as as simple as just making, you know, reminding yourself to go to those areas more and and get the result? Yeah, just being in good ice, I think, is the the one thing um, that we talked about and you'll see in the video is – a lot of times I would find myself on the perimeter and, and, you know, you hear it all the time being a perimeter player is never really a good thing. Yeah. Um, and when things get tough, a lot of times I would end up on the perimeter. So it was just, it's not necessarily about like being in the paint and battling and grinding in there. It's just funneling to the right areas and getting into good ice to, you know, where the puck will find you just yeah. from being in, in the right spot. So that's kind of what we talked about. And make yourself an option. <laughs> yeah, exactly. By not if remaining static. If you're static. in the corner, you're not open. So yeah. <laughs> you might feel open, but you're not. Yeah, you are. But you're not around anybody. But exactly. they're like, oh, you're going to yeah, stay there. Yeah, leave them over there. That's fine. We'll, we'll defend less people if you're going to be in the wrong spot. Yeah. Um, the confidence element of it, too. Um, you didn't have back-to-back games this season where you didn't end up on the score sheet in some way until January. So you were amazingly consistent of ending up on the score sheet, a goal and assist, multi-point games, and being able to, you know, not go two games in a row without a point is something that's got to be mental, I would think. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. It was just, I kept saying it at the start of the year. It's like when the bounces are kind of going your way, you just kind of ride the wave until it ends. And um, again, like a lot of kudos to my teammates that were helping me along the way, but I, yeah, I just kind of felt like I uh, had the confidence and, um, 
you know, I was going into each and every game thinking that I was going to be able to change the outcome of the game uh, in some way, whether it was, you know, just working hard or an assist or a goal or whatever it was to help the team. Um, and, you know, I think it's important when in the past when you have that confidence, I could let it go. Uh, sometimes it would slip away, but just trying to, like, stay confident and, and, you know, learn how to be consistent. And not overthink it, too. Yeah, exactly. You had the point streak, and, I mean, you put up huge numbers during it. Um, <clears throat> what's that feeling like every time you step on the ice riding a heater like that? Yeah, it's uh, something I've never experienced before, I'll tell you that. At any maybe, level? Maybe in minor hockey, yeah, or yeah. junior. Um, but the NHL is obviously a different different story, and it's funny because it's, it's – as cool as it was for me to go through that, you know, look around the league and it's peanuts, like some of these guys that are just yeah. so good. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, it's definitely a good feeling to go through something like that and have the confidence to know that, um, you know, that I was able to do that. It was definitely something that, you know, I held on to for a bit. How's the, the league changed in, in the sense of how you have to score on goalies now? because I mean it's evolving yeah. every year this is the cat and dog game cat and mice game yep. I guess is, and you know the goalies adjusting and then you guys adjusting how's that changed yeah I mean the goalies are just so good now so big yeah big they move well um you know I think people would actually be quite shocked at like when you're shooting you're not necessarily seeing the opening a lot of times it might be you're you're just assuming the goalie's going to move. You know, if, if you shoot low glove, it might not be there, but when the goalie drops into his butterfly, it opens up a small little pocket that yeah. wasn't there when you originally went to shoot it, but, like, you're trying to outsmart the goalie as well. Um, and that's how a lot of goals are scored, too. And, and also just kind of knowing where the net is. You're just kind of shooting at the net. Yeah. Rebounds, you're just it's just kind of like uh, repetition and practice. You know, you just kind of learn where the net is and, and – kind of try to find the open spaces because um, yeah like you said a lot of times the goal is just going to be there and they move well they're big and, and you just got to kind of hope for the best yeah I always said the great goal scorers you know they read things they don't even know they're reading in the goaltender like if the goaltender is <laughs> loaded on his right leg to move to his left you recognize that and you, you know you know that I can get him because of where he thinks I'm going yeah and again that just comes from playing a lot and and shooting yeah. a lot of goalies um and I think one thing that, that I've done a little bit over the years is talk to the goalies and kind of get their, um, you know, opinion on my tendencies where I like to shoot and, and you know, what's tricky. From about, their perspective. Yeah, like what's tricky about my shot that might throw a goalie off or what do you see when I shoot here kind of thing. And, yeah. um, you know, I don't do it often, but I've definitely talked to goalies in the past about it. Yeah, like pulling the puck into your body makes it harder to read. Yeah, I remember uh, – Elliot actually told me, um, Brian Elliot, when he was here, Yeah, I always would shoot in the same spot. And I won't say where because I'm still playing, but uh, he always said to me that if you can score in the exact same spot in practice and practice that, even when I know I'm shooting there, like he knew I was going to do it. And you still beat him. I would still try to beat him there. And he said that's when it's a hard shot. Yeah. If the goalie doesn't know it's coming, you know, so that stuck with me and I was like, okay. So then I would just start to work on my shot that I thought that I would score a lot. And, uh, yeah. So I, Hartsy and I kind of get a chuckle out of it cause I always shoot in the same spots in practice. I mean, you have to tell me what that is when we're done recording. No, you, it's, it's, it's a low glove shot. I was just kidding. It's, I always yeah. shoot, I tend to shoot low glove and, yeah. and, 
It's Why not low blocker? That's more difficult for a little harder for a righty. Yeah. The angles where you're coming in. So. Yeah. But. Um, yeah, just above 11 inches and below 16 yeah. inches is that one spot above because yeah. the pads are 11 inches. Yeah. Um, what do you got for this offseason? You had a great year. I, I was so happy, by the way, that you were able to come back and finish the year. You came back strong. You played eight games after the injury. Yeah. Four goals, three assists, seven points. Big for you to be able to come back and finish it on the ice. Yeah, yeah, it was huge. I was um, I was trying to get back as, as fast as I could. It was like kind of looking like I was running out of room there, and things started moving along pretty good for me. Um, but, yeah, it was, I was happy to get back and, and – finish it out especially when the guys have been grinding all year you know i wanted to be a part of that because it's tough when you're going through winning and then losing and then winning and losing it's just like a mental grind so i kind of wanted to be in the locker room again so um you were benched in that san jose game early in the season yeah and i remember talking to torts and he said tk came to see me he goes i don't i don't hold it against guys if they don't but you wanted to go talk to him about it and yeah. it seemed like a really big pivot point for you in the season. Yeah, I was actually asked about it today in the media too. And um, it was just a big moment, I think, for me and him and our relationship. Because it's not like we had this big relationship that we communicated every single week about what was going on. Like, it wasn't anything like that. It was just like we understood each other through that meeting and like kind of where my head was at and where his was at. And we kind of laid it all out there had our conversation and uh and then kind of ever since then that was that was it we never really spoke we just kind of knew what each other expected of one another and and that's kind of how we went about it um i mean he he mentioned when you were out losing you was a huge void because not only because of you know the goals and the assists but the attention that you grab on the ice let me ask you about playing with some of the young players like in that game against uh, chicago in the first goal and the first shift of the game great two-man game to break out of the zone with frost get up the ice he delivers you a beautiful backhand pass and you pound it yeah um playing with the young guys what's that been like it's been tip awesome. as well yeah it's it's been so fun i mean seeing these guys like we all know the talent they have just from camp or summer skates or whatever the highlight packages you see these guys like i've known they've had this it's just like for them to get the opportunity a lot of times they might not get that if if we were in a different stage of you know where our team was at and some guys don't get that chance to be that player for for a little bit longer um but when they had the, the chance this year it's all about taking advantage and they all did it was, yeah. it was so awesome to see um they did such a good job and and you know sh trying to show their skills off and and you know what they're all about in their own style of play and each and every one of them did a great job. I thought one of the big elements of your game this year was your details, and it was present on your second goal in the Chicago game because the winger's waiting on a rim, and he's not moving back to the puck, and you yeah. jump it. Yeah, You were like a D-back. You jump the route, yeah. and you get the puck, and you get it to Frost, and then as soon as you get rid of the puck, you what do you do? You go right to the net, and you pick up the rebound. The details in your game were fabulous this year. Yeah, thank you. I mean – Again, that just comes down to like the little details that I was doing, uh, some of the analytic stuff, just where I would end up after I'd make a play. Yeah. And uh, that was one of the things. It was just I wasn't ever following up a play like I should have been. And 
um, yeah, that was like, like you said, it was a good example of if I would have veered off or watched that play, I would never have been in that spot. Yeah, it was well executed. What's the plan for the summer? What are you doing? Uh, probably do a little vacation right away. And then, um, I mean, just spend some time, uh, with my son and my wife before our next one comes and you how's know, the boy <clears throat> He's doing great. Yeah. How old now? He's just shy. He'll be two in August. So he's just shy of two. Um, he buzzing around with oh, a little twig already. Around. Yeah, yeah. He's scoring. He's screaming goal, running around the house. So, <laughs> oh yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. And uh, I mean, I can only imagine what it's like when he's going to be all the talk and just you know blabbing around the house. So with with your genealogy, he's oh, never going to stop. Yeah, I know. I know. Maybe I shouldn't be hoping for it. So <laughs> yeah, at some point you're going to be like, can we just can you zip it exactly. for a little bit? <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, enjoy the family uh, this summer, TK. Great season. I'm. So happy you broke that 30-goal plateau. And uh, on to great things next year as well. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. You can hear in that conversation with Konechny just how laid back he is. And it's weird for even when a young player comes in, when he first got to the NHL two years after his draft year, he was that laid back in media sessions and interviews right out of the gate. A lot of times young players or when they first get to the NHL, are really nervous in those situations and they just kind of give you the hockey cliche answers and you can tell that they're uncomfortable. TK, in my experience with him, has never felt uncomfortable. It just feels like he's like there's no microphone there, there's no camera, there's no whatever, and you're just talking. And that always provides for good conversation with Travis Konechny. Now, he's a player that would yield you a big return coming off a career year. Is he here next year? Is that a big deal that Danny Briere would swing, presuming that Briere has the interim tag removed this offseason to help the Flyers in this rebuild and getting younger? Now, Konechny's not old, but he is a player that would yield a large return. He's got a good contract. He's still under control for a couple of years before he's going to need a raise. He's performing great in the NHL. Head coach here loves him. A lot of head coaches around the league would love him. We'll see how it plays out. But we appreciate TK giving us time on Flyers Exit Day. And we appreciate you giving us time on Flyers Daily. So, everybody, we'll be back Friday. It'll be another brand-new edition of Flyers Daily. We'll have another Exit Day player interview with a guy who really burst onto the scene this year, really made a name for himself in NHL circles amongst the elite players because he had the job of trying to minimize the damage they could do. I'm talking about Noah Cates. He'll be our guest on Friday's Flyers Daily. So everybody, have a great day. We'll talk to you next time on a brand new Flyers Daily. Into the distance Ribbon of black Stretch to the point Of no turning back Fly to fancy On a windswept field Standing alone My senses real Thank you.